Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name's Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. This week's exchange is with Luke Slater. Slater's been one of English techno's most important figures for the last couple of decades now. He's proven himself to be a true chameleon and has been known to make anything from ambient to synth pop, yet techno has always been his key mode of expression. He's just released his third album for Oscar Tone under his Planetary Assault Systems alias. And ahead of the launch party at Berghain, he stopped by our office to talk about a life in techno with Will Lynch. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Luke Slater is up next. get started i wanted to ask about archangel yeah i was interested in something you said which was that you felt like you'd been cheating a bit on your productions recently or you'd been falling into some old habits and you wanted to ditch those habits for this album well i mean i I think probably what i meant was i don't know how many records i've written a lot but i think i would have felt i was cheating if I'd just done another album that was um, of, of a standard formula that works. And also, I just couldn't do that. And for me, the, the last album kind of summed that up just fine. I think it's wrong to say I wanted to get back to the roots because that implies kind of going back to the start of it all. But really, get back to the love of it. You know the love, the love of the actual music, rather than the sort of that something that has to be in the music to to do a certain job in a certain situation. Just shed that whole bangers thing, you know. And I like doing records like that. You know, I wanted the album to be a complete trip, so I I didn't want to do it in that way. I don't think we're at a point where we need more uh, records that are made for the wrong purpose, you know? And that's what I'm seeing a lot, is this sort of need to make a record that complies to certain rules and standards, because if you do that, then you're going to get a gig, or you're going to... It's not actually for the music, it's just like a standard set, a standard formula that if you comply to that, then um, you can move forward, ambition... That's actually never been part of my plan to do things for that reason. For me, it's always been to do with the music. And there's been many times where I've had to take check of myself and say, so you've got to stick to the music. No matter all the shit's going on around you, just stick to the music. And so that when it, when it came to Archangel, it was very much a case of forgetting all that and going back to the, you know, what what you really love in the music and, and that that's the sort of basis of it is just doing it for that sake that phenomenon you just mentioned of making a record for the wrong reasons yeah making a record in order to get gigs 
do you feel like from where you stand is that a semi-recent development you know was it not like that when you were making it's always been actually it's always been like that and i suppose if you look back in and in a way it needs to be like that to a certain extent because every record needs a purpose it should have a purpose you know i just think as far as i'm concerned that's not really where i'm at because i don't need to write one of those records to continue what i'm doing but I think people do expect me to do something that's good. <laughs> so there's a different sort of pressure. There's a different sort of um, debt that I always feel I have to pay. So I like a good suffering. I like to suffer for my, you know, I, I think things are good when you're suffering a bit. And there's a poet that said, a plane can't take off without a headwind, you know? So I always. I always get back to this idea that to get something done right, you've got to have that kind of headwind to go into. Otherwise, if it's too, if it just flows too much, it's, there's something wrong. I'm a bit sort of like that in that way. I'm hearing a lot of records that are artistic, and I'm hearing a lot of records that are totally the, the other side of it. There's a lot of good stuff out there, you know. That's not really... The original kind of heart of what I've I've ever done, and in techno as well, kind of I wanted to get that in the album, that sort of the original pulse that initially meant so much to me. I kind of wanted to try and get that back in the music, but without sort of just revamping, going back to nineteen ninety one and just basically doing what I did then, but trying to move it on, but still holding that the, the kind of values that I really love mm. in the music. So that, that's how I got around to that one. Something you touched on was um, obviously you've put out a lot of records over the years. Yeah. A lot of them are really great. And like you said, people expect what you put out to be good. They Maybe they don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know. But I always feel that, that I have to work hard. It's got to be good. That's pretty much the rule. It's got to be good, or at least I've got to think it's good. Yeah. But I guess maybe the depth and the quality of the music you've put out so far, maybe that's kind of its own headwind, or that's a, that's its own pressure in a way, that you have to live up to that. Yeah, it can be a bit of a head-scratcher. But, you know, there's there's a saying, you're only, as, you're only as good as your last record, so I use that one as well. I'm, I'm a man of proverbs, really. You know, <laughs> I, I kind of pick them out when it suits me. I use other people as a guide to whether it's good or not as well because the you know there's always tracks that I don't think are all that but you know like Heidi she'll sort of say no that one's that one's really good. Who's Heidi? She's my woman. <laughs> <laughs> woman. She is woman. Yeah and I see that a bit like uh who's the guy the uh, the guitar guy? He's got his <laughs> the name on all the guitars. Les Paul. Les Paul. Yeah. Okay, so everything he did was went through his wife. So it was like she was like like the kind of gauge, the the kind of uh, the leveler of of what he was doing. The quality control. <laughs> yeah, it's whatever works, isn't it? I think that's what I like about life in general. It's not really about what you should be doing, or it's just about where you find yourself. I can see you looking questioningly at that statement, but, you know, if somebody says, go and write an album, okay, 
we want to do an album, let's go and write it. There's no way I could do it just, okay, right, I've got two weeks booked in to write the album, I'll go and write an album. I'll just go and do it because that's what I've got to do. That, I just, it just doesn't really work. There's got to be some kind of change that happens that stirs things up, frees the spirit before I can do that. So there's there's got to be like this um, obscure thing happening. You know, like on Archangel, there was a big time limit. So that was the first thing. Because I didn't have to have a time limit, I set myself a time limit. And then I set myself limitations in the equipment and the sounds that I would use. So everything had to be done around this uh, control. So I couldn't wander outside that. Because I felt that if I could, I could I could use anything, I could do anything, I could come up with anything I wanted. That wasn't working for me. So there had to be a lot of... Re- I restrained myself, I, I made myself sort of suffer into the music to get the most out of what I was using. That worked for me. You know, this time around, that worked this kind of less and reduction and taking away things and, you know, less consumption, less needs. You know, let's really try and scale this down and get it working. It, it was quite a freeing experience, actually, doing it that way. I didn't write the album in a studio as such. I, I kind of wrote it in an office. And then I moved it to the studio when I'd actually written something. So it's kind of production. I kind of separated the production from the, the writing. The whole thing first was to write some bits that actually uh, did the trick, you know. So how does that work exactly the uh, writing versus production like do you when you're writing yeah what are you literally doing like writing in a notebook or just coming up with ideas in your head or sketching on software or something or well i i used a lot of pictures i printed out different colors and different pictures and i kind of pinned them up because i was in i was in in the office so i put up all these different colors and pictures around me and uh just kind of used them as a, a kind of a light source almost, you know, like a like to affect affect what I was seeing. If you if you put me in here, I can I couldn't write in here. So the whole idea of studios for me is kind of um has gone gone totally the reverse of what it was in the nineties of being in a room with uh you know, soundproofing and acoustic control. I, I, uh, for writing something, that just doesn't work for me anymore. It, it works really good with production and sort of getting levels right and, you know, stereo and, and mixes. But for writing, to actually sitting down and, like, coming up with a melody or, or, or a groove, it just I just can't do it anymore. So I have to, like, put myself in these different situations. Not on the plane, I think that's shit. But, you know, like some kind of environment that's... Maybe a little bit surreal. I don't know. Maybe I, th- I think I'm always looking for that surreal sort of thing in everything. You know, I wanted a lot of beauty in the album. I wanted melody and I wanted escapism. You know, I wanted, I wanted to be able to escape into that that music. And I wanted other people to be able to do it. You know, like, you know, come with me on this mad, surreal trip. And whether you like it or not, that doesn't matter to me. It's just as long as it takes you somewhere, just as long as you can you can get out for a bit, get out of your head, you know, because I think now is just such a good time to be able to do that in the world. 
just to be able to escape. What makes you say that? Or why now versus another time? I mean, I guess um, there's so much fighting. You know, I travelled around the world for so many years and it was all just so good before. <laughs> you know, you, you could sort of go in. There was a few wars knocking around and stuff. You know, the Middle East was always at it. But, you know, now travelling around, is, is, it seems so... I don't know, you know, politics seep into it. It's like the whole world order. It's, it's, it's almost... There needs to be escapism again. There needs to be not just ambition and, you know, drive to su succeed and, and be rich. There's got to be escapism. And I think that a lot of that ex escapism has been lost from the 90s. And I think that was quite healthy to have that escapism. So I'm kind of trying to... Am I trying to bring it back? Yeah, I guess I'm making a point that now is the time to let go and... I could easily see another summer of love or a, a rebelling against the sort of values that don't actually hold that much, you know, kind of a road to nowhere values. Part of that makes me sad, but I think in, I think that's the great thing about music. I think you can really, you can really do, so, you can affect people with music, and that's what I want to do. So in a way, maybe you feel things kind of going full circle to when you were first getting into it in a way is it the spirit the atmosphere of, of the world the scene i'd be lying if i didn't try and put that into what i'm doing and just think yeah well that wasn't important or that that isn't part of who i am that would be bollocks if i just if i you know if i just forgot about that so really i'm just being honest <laughs> honest gov <laughs> I'm just being honest about it all. I'm just yeah. being brutally honest, you know. And I just think it's really important for music to be able to take you somewhere that's uh, a bit different. I was wondering about when you sit down to write an album and it turns out to be Planetary Assault Systems record instead of Luke Slater yeah. or LB Dub Corp or whatever. That choice to use a name like Planetary Assault Systems where it's not your name, obviously, yeah. and it's not even... A person's name it's you know the whole thing is kind of sci-fi and even a little bit kind of inhuman or something yeah is there an element of escapism in your creative acts when you sit down to make that music is are you escaping yourself in a way like sw switching into a different mindset as you do that i guess so because i've always been able to kind of switch between personas because I distance myself from them. So if planetary is on my mind, then there is a kind of a, a switch for getting in that head. It's funny with planetary, you know, it's like just got, it's like the curse of planetary assault systems, you know. The one thing that I've done that people really, really like, they really like it, and they've always really liked it, no matter what else I do. People are really go on about planetary assault systems. So these days I sort of, it's kind of a thing in itself. It kind of develops itself and I, I'm almost kind of watching it develop and then I'm sort of applying, you know, kind of like a issuing things to it to kind of, hey, you know, deal with that, guys. You know, bring that into it. Say, oh, okay, Luke, yeah. It's kind of a bit, it's a bit schizophrenic in a way. So that other, but, those two voices you just did, one of them's you and one of them's 
planetary assault system. Yeah, they're kind of there, you know, and it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I mean, if if I had to sit down and write something under Luke Slater now, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really know what to write. <laughs> That's always actually been the most difficult thing to do for me, right under my own name. When you do planetary assault systems, yeah. do you feel like you're assuming a role or playing, you know, playing a character in a way? I think it comes from. I've realised this more and more, but you know, I was born in '68, so I kind of grew up in the '70s, and so much was based around films and technological, futuristic sci-fi series and ideas. This kind of otherworldness of. Uh, where, you know, sort of watches that can make you invisible and all, all this stuff growing up and films were a massive influence for me. So I looked at things in that way that you could apply the sort of filmic ideas and a story to whatever, whatever you wanted to do. I suppose a bit of me is like a frustrated actor. So I'm putting that persona on the music, you know, rather than just being a musician, it's like, how can I create something around all this that's interesting and and curious, you know? I think that's where the whole idea of creating names and trying to put some kind of story to them, some kind of different head. I think it I think it really came from just watching so many films growing up and loving it, you know. I'm a com- complete film buff really. I really enjoyed it, so I did that in you know in the nights when I did freak funk and everything had to have this kind of filmic uh, idea. Mm. And with planetary, there's always been this sort of the outsider universe drifter has always been uh, a kind of a big player in the mm. idea of it. So you mean that's what you have in your head as this sort of character of planetary? Yeah, it's a universal yeah. drifter. It's not really centred around space. I think it's centred around a kind of a mindset of where we could go, you know, of, of where your head can go and where and what, what kind of life you can lead and what culture and just just everything based around. I mean, essentially, the first planetary assault systems records were purely made for the purpose of DJ. So, but the idea of planetary assault systems was was from some toy figures that my son had. I forget what they were now, but it kind of just fit at the time with the music. So it didn't really start as a big idea, but then it, it sort of, it's sort of grown its natural sort of thing within itself. Nothing to do with me almost, you know, mm. I haven't really, it's just, it's just gone that way. I've never really seen planetary as a kind of a rave thing, you know, even though it's been involved in that side a lot. I'm tempted to draw a connection to what you said earlier and how you limited yourself on mm. what gear you wanted to use for the album. I've noticed that your Luke Slater albums are kind of bursting with different ideas, you know, d- different styles zooming in and out. And it, um, The old ones, yeah. 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 Um, is that something you have to work to manage? Like you've got loads of different ideas that are all, you know, different styles and maybe the idea of, using this alter ego like planetary lb dub corp is that kind of a organizing factor kind of like limiting yourself to certain gear you know what i mean yeah i guess so because you know that i think it was it john lennon who said give me a 
couple of spoons and I'll get a tune out of it or right. or a dustbin lid or something. That's me. You just you just give me anything that makes a noise and I'll I'll come up with some weird sound and really love it. I'll really love that, even though it might be just like one noise, you know. I just think that's just great. That's the way I am. So I'm sitting on the train. I'm, I'm knocking around wherever I hear a kind of a series. It could be just like, you know, a fridge hum. And I think, well, that's just a track in itself. <laughs> you know, I can sit there listening to a fridge. It's kind of an ambience. And that's a valid track to me. That's something that people should be listening to because it's it's just got a, 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 an energy of its own, you know. And sit quite seriously. That's, 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 that's how I am. So when it comes to writing, it's like there's all these tons of interesting things that I could do and try and put together but that road for me at the moment is not is I don't want to do that at the moment I don't I don't I'm actually want to go the reverse I want to know that I I got these things and I could do that but purposely limit I'm becoming less you know more and more anti-consumption I, I want to shed things rather than accumulate hmm. So, do you mean that in a literal sense, like shed the the stuff yeah, you have in your studio? Yeah, f- physically and mentally as well. So, I'm not throwing away all this stuff. You know, these things that I love and the sounds I like, I'm still loving them, but they go into a separate box. They go into the sort of uh, potential archive or a potential future interesting things box. But then, when it comes to writing. I really want, want to have a piece of paper and a and a and a pencil, you know, and that's that's how I want to write now. It's like just just straight from there. I don't, I don't want to be surrounded by the things you're supposed to have to write. Is and, that how you write? How you write music with pencil and paper? No, I write with the ears, but I purposely don't surround myself with the. I try I try and not have the stuff around me that I maybe should have. Right. Also looks the same, you know. So, especially with Archangel, that that was very much uh, that kind of case. So you you know, I had something on a sofa, you know, and a bit over there. There was it was all, it was already messy. There was no sort of okay, we can sit down. Let's put the computer here. You know, we put that there. You know, there was none. There was not. There was no organisation. It was almost like a a casual writing. I wasn't even thinking about the end production. It was just coming up with something that actually I liked in my head. So, did you know that you were making an album, or were you just you know messing? No, around? no, I never think like that. The whole "got to write an album" thing is a bit of a bit of a wet blanket for me. So it's, it's more of a, it's more of a let's write something, and if it isn't shit, let's see where it goes from there. <laughs> and then, luckily, you know, you write something that actually think, yeah. I haven't heard this before, you know. But I can see this working, then and then, then it just has its own thing, you know. And I don't, I don't even think about when it's going to end, or uh, you know, like how many tracks I've written, or is that going to work in the in the setup of the album? I, I don't even think think like that. That's that's, that's scary. Yeah. So there's this kind of outpouring of. Yeah, ideas, and then yeah. you make sense of it later on. Yeah, exactly. Which is the best bit, you know. If you, if this outpouring's going on, that's living, man. <laughs> that's the bit where I'm living, where it's just coming out and nothing else matters, and it, it, you know, the end result doesn't matter. It's just you, 
you're doing stuff and you're thinking, yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's all right. I was going to ask about that specifically with Archangel because it's, it's pretty long. You got yeah. you know, 20 tracks all it at once. It did turn out really long, yeah. Um, when you were in the process of making the album, did you feel like you were on a roll? Did this feel like a particularly you know, productive streak? Looking back to when I wrote it, yeah. But at the time it was more like I was on a roll writing it. And then at some point it kind of took on this kind of quality of uh, a general idea, a general concept. And concept, I love a concept, man. I love a concept. So if a concept concept forms, then I start buying into that whole idea of the concept. So at first I'm not even thinking about that stuff. But then it takes on something by itself. It just sort of has its own sort of thing about it. And that's when I start kind of applying building on that concept so I normally work better towards the end when the end of things when I'm running out of time I'm normally the most productive then rather than having a lot of time so Mm. it's just sitting down and getting on with it it? I try and write something every day every day even if it's a pile of shit just write and record it and uh, I got lots of stuff like that just Mm. And it's, of the vetting qualities, it, it's good because the more you, I think the more you write, the more likely you are to do something that's um, that might actually be good. Unless you're going for a box standard. You know, I could have sat down and done another Rip the Cut, which was a really popular one off the last album, but I just didn't want to do it. Just, I could have just kind of done that again. But I think Rip the Cut's fine as it is. I don't want to, I don't want to do that again. You're making these tunes. You don't really know what their, what the end no. goal is or whatever. And so, is there a point where it crosses your mind? I think I've got an album on my hands, or this this could potentially be half of an album so far. Yeah, I mean, it, it really works. Like the the point where, at some point, I have to listen to all this, the stuff I got. Then, if something forms from that, then I start listening to stuff with a different head. Like with a, I I stand back and go. Okay, yeah, I'm, I can see where I can see where this is going now. You know, it's I didn't know that before, but now I can think about what this what this means and start to imprint that on. The, but the music's got to be there first, really. You know, I can't go do it the other way around. So once you've got a bunch of tracks that you like, is it that you contact Oscutone and you say, "I think I got something in the pipeline," or how does it actually get to the point of like? Now I'm working on my I'm working on an album for a label. Well, Oscar Tom wanted me to do a, a planetary album about over a year ago, and I was in the office and I said, "Look, I just don't want to do another planetary album." You know, we were still touring the last album. I said, "Look, I'm not I'm not feeling it. You know, I'm not I'm not feeling another planetary album." And that was pretty much it for a bit. So I kind of thought, "Yeah, maybe I'll." Maybe I'll just leave it like that for a bit because I wasn't feeling it. And then suddenly I did. So, yeah, so, we, you know, we kind of got it on. So Oscar Tom wanted to do Planetary Album for a long time, but I just I just wasn't, um, I, I just, uh, I didn't feel I could do something that, that, that wasn't cheating, really. So I didn't want to just do The Messenger again or sort of anything that was too... Uh, 
Uh, I didn't really think I had any, anything to say, you know, a year and a half ago. So until that happened, that's when we got in touch. And, you know, I've, I've got some tracks brewing here. And then, then we started kind of on the roll with it, you know, but not until the tracks had started to, the ideas had come. And you know, those ideas, they're just gold dust, man. <laughs> it seems like you're very respectful of, I guess, what someone might describe as your muse or something like that. Or like, you know, it's it's kind of mysterious why at one point you're bubbling up with ideas and why at another point you're like, mm, I'm just not feeling it right now. And I feel like, that you know, it seems like you pay attention to that or it's you know if a label said what do you think about another album they might just give it a shot yeah um, the fact that you're kind of like mm, now's not the time a year and a half later it kind of happens on its own and you say well okay yeah maybe um, well you know i've really been through that thing with the industry you know i've been on the other side where you have to work to a schedule and you finish an album then then there's got to be a seven-inch single edit. And then, you know, the whole sort of uh, the old way, really, of, of the music industry was very scheduled. And I kind of lived that as well. And I pulled it off. But really, now I'm, I kind of just listen to myself. I, I guess I don't really need to... Um, I don't need to sort of uh, put out a record to let people know who I am anymore so much you know so uh, Luke's done a record people are going to go oh who is this guy hmm. you know like in the scene people are going to go oh Luke's done a record has he done a planetary or has he done an LB what's he, what's he doing you know so is it any good you know where, where's he gone with this one so there isn't that sort of uh, I guess it's what artists always wanted this kind of idea that you could just write when you wanted and then when it was flowing and then a record company would you know buy into that and then kind of work let's on bring your it schedule. all together i mean don't get me wrong there is once the albums you know once half the writing's done then that starts to creep into it you know with schedules and stuff but i think it's a very free experience it's you know i think i i do value that that sort of idea that you can write when you want and that's good. It's, it's kind of a lucky position to be in, in a way. But then you've always got the overhang of that you've done a lot of stuff before. So whatever you do has got to be, I always think for myself, whatever I do has got to be good. Because I've got all this stuff before, but that was then. You know, the last album was the last album. So every time I have to make sure that I'm doing something that at least I think is, is worthy of doing rather than just chucking out a record. I don't I don't see the point in that anymore. I guess, in a way, you're not exactly lucky to be in this position. You kind of earned it. You have decades of proving yourself. I have proved myself a lot. That's, tr that, that's very true. You know, it's just so much been about the music with me. It really has. And when things have been confusing or difficult out there, uh, whatever's going on, in the industry or, or, or life itself, I always try and come back. I have to tell myself, look, man, just just get back to the music. That's where it's good. Just just get back there. However anyone looks at it, all I'm really trying to do is 
is right stuff all the time and chasing the the idea that it can always be better that there's always stuff to to say and as long as I've got that in my head I'm 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 happy but if I when I get to the point where I've I'm just not feeling anything and then then you have to take on kind of more regular thoughts in life and that can actually be more difficult for me <laughs> to deal with that so I'm happiest when I'm when I'm doing that you said take on more regular thoughts you mean like if you're not making music yeah. you're left with the normal day-to-day life stuff and that's harder I think it is if you start thinking about it yeah I find it all very curious really you know, I'm very, very interested in people, you know, so I'm a cafe guy, you know, I like I can sit at a cafe and really watch people and just be really curious about why they're doing something or what they're going to do next, you know. There's all these sort of network built around the way people live their lives. But I'm happiest when I'm either playing music or, or making it. That's That's pretty much what, you know, what I've always wanted to do. You might have just answered it right then, but I was going to ask... Um your longevity as an artist and as a performer is pretty unusual in the scheme of things. You know, you've kept at it more than most people, or not just in the sense that you're still playing gigs, but Mm. you're still a fairly prolific producer. And it sounds like you're still, you know, pretty hard on yourself. You still challenge yourself in the studio. I guess, why do you think it is that you've maintained such a strong relationship with the music and this life when so many other people for one reason or another it, it, it fizzles out you know fewer than whatever it is now 20, 23 yeah. years 20 years persistence just uh, grit you know hard work and and belief in what I'm doing and the music you know it's and the culture of it as well I think you know the belief in uh alternative culture which back in the beginning was was the deal you know the the end of the 80s when i started djing the idea of acid house and you know chicago and detroit and the ray early stuff belgium stuff italian stuff everything was kind of in this mix of of alternative lifestyle because the 80s were a sort of conservative time and the, the sort of the rebellion against that was uh, especially in London, at least, was the acid house culture. And that's where I felt at home back then. And I like the idea of something not being sort of totally accepted by the mainstream. I like the idea that there's that going on all the time. <laughs> so I think, and it's a funny thing, because actually now, I think electronic music and and clubs and gigs, DJing, the whole thing is is absolutely kind of almost mainstream in itself. So there's a kind of a paradox in all in all of this. But I never got into this to have a bit of fun and get out. Never, from the very beginning. I got into this to stay in it and do what I wanted to do and try and get what my thoughts and ideas across. There was never the idea of uh, just giving things, you know, oh, it seems like I'm a DJ for a bit. Well, actually, in the beginning, it was like that. It was like, oh, this is really good. 
I don't know where this is going to go. That kind of changed into, no, this is a valid thing that's going on. Here. This is a valid course where all this is going. This, there's no reason why this music can't be just as known and heard by people as, you know, jazz or classical or anything like that. There's no reason why that this music can't be seen in the future like that. To me, that that's still a big point. That I guess, in a way, it's a bit of a driving point for me now to to try and put this music in, into other people's heads that don't always go to clubs, you know. But they like, you know, classical or jazz. You know, they they might have a picture of uh, John Coltrane on the wall, you know, but they haven't really listened to John Coltrane much. But it's like that idea that this music is in a way avant-garde, but it's just as valid as any of these classical avant-garde types of music that get, you know, casually, say, jazz, classical, you know. It's, for me, that that's, that's really, in a way, what techno's always been about. So it's never really been about the commercial end of it, the fact of trying to make it like the other music, although I have veered down that road. But it's it's more about trying to move what you're doing over to make people listen to what you're doing, you know? So I guess that re that rebelliousness, that kind of idea that that could happen, that's that's one of the things that, that also keeps me going. It's interesting to think that since you got started, you know, when you were first going to raves or getting started DJing, I guess, it was not yet the case that you would hear house records in a hair salon or something Absolutely like that. Absolutely not, no. And now it is. So yep. the thing that you said of rather than chasing the mainstream, sort of trying to drag people over to check out what you do, um, even if it's not you personally, yeah, that has happened with, with this culture. Yeah, it has, but I'm not seeing the... Um, but I think, I think a lot of that music is pandering to the acceptable. Sure, yeah. And for me, that's, that's, that's not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Those guys can do that. That's cool. But for me, that's not, that's not good enough. I actually want to, I want to hear the unblemished version, you know, the, the real, the real thing. Because actually, if you look at how much avant-garde music's out there, even right today, there's a lot of good stuff, you know, and a lot of that stuff isn't going to get heard by anyone apart from, you know, some perhaps dedicated followers that are going to buy the record or or listen to it online. But some of it is really good, really good. I did a an ambient set at Burkine Hall for the 7th Plane a couple of months back, and uh, I found some great stuff, you know, to play for that. Um, I really like that um, King Midas sound on... Ninja Tune, that, oh, there was loads of other bits. Did you play in the holler? Yeah, in the, in the, in the ambient, ambient room? Cool. Yeah, which was a beautiful thing, you know, no drums, no drums, just ambience, you know. And But yeah, I, I guess I'm wandering off point, but it's it's all, you know, I see that just as valid as... Coltrane or whatever. Yeah, so there's so much of it. And so much of it is, I think it's harder these days for that music to have any kind of potential to, to, to cross over into the other side because 
what doesn't exist now, but maybe is starting to exist more now, is that sort of in-between that used to be there when I was doing Freak Funk, where electronic music has this sort of halfway platform where mm. it, you know, I could get, you know, people might hear it on the other side and then it, and then it gets adopted. That I feel that that's kind of grown again, but for a long time that just wasn't there. Mm. So that it was like just pop music, and then the un, you know the underground where there's all this music but no one ever heard it, you know, and there seemed to be this massive division. But I do, I do feel now that that's starting to change, you know, and I like that. I think that's a really important bit mm-hmm. of of the industry that was missed that went, but coming back because it's it's a freeing thing, isn't it? The possibility that your music could be heard here, there, and everywhere, and that's really all I want. I just want my music to be heard anywhere which is why i never buy into this idea that um techno you know it has to be underground it has to stay here you know it's 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 our fight you know this pocket i've i've just never really believe, believed in that that without touching the music it can't go to different places going back to the topic of how many years you've been in the game did you ever have serious moments of doubt or did were you ever tempted to try something else or give it up at all? What, just throw it, chuck it in? I've definitely had uh, quite massive periods where I don't write anything. Um, like how long? I think I did like about five, four or five years at the beginning of the 2000. Hmm. Yeah, it's about five. I just didn't write. I didn't, I didn't write. I didn't really didn't feel it. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to even attempt to write anything. I just it was a kind of a it was quite a heavy time in my life, in general, and uh, the the cosmos wasn't aligning at that point. So I didn't I didn't try and fight it. So I just went with it. It just uh, you know I I didn't try and feel that I had to do anything really. You mean just on a personal level? On all levels, really. It was. Um, I think I had some other stuff I needed to learn. And, you know, there, there was this kind of... I, I really felt the end of the 90s, it was just time to stop for a bit anyway because there was this sort of... Ma- the whole... Everything that was the night. There was, there was a definite kind of, uh, you know, ramp up that was going on in, in the music, you know. Then, but then it just felt wrong. Everything just felt wrong for a bit. And so, so in a way, I kind of just stopped. I just stopped, stopped completely. I mean, I was still doing gigs, but I, I definitely wasn't writing. I wasn't actually trying to do anything. But it came back. Yeah. I mean, I started to feel differently about things. And then I started Motive Over Label in what, 2007. Originally, that was really kind of the, the idea was about LB Dubcourt to try and release stuff like that. That's when Planetary kind of, I dared to do another Planetary record which was the first, the first Motivolver release. And I remember that was quite scary, actually, get starting again. For someone that doesn't make music, can you explain why it would be scary to, to dust off something like that? I think just because cause what had been the, the weight of the 90s, you know, it did feel like a weight at the end. I'd shed that by stopping and then to start again, it was like, I don't want things to be like they they were before. I don't want 
I don't want to live the nineties again because I'm I'm really not a nostalgic person. I don't I don't like looking back with rose tinted glasses at things. So I was really sort of aware that it could turn into the nineties again if I wasn't careful. And that put this um, what I actually found out that it all happened such a long time ago that Plantry was almost it was a totally different generation of people that were around. And once I kind of sussed that out, it was easier. But um, I think there was a lot of overhang from what I'd done for me to sort of start again, planetary assault systems. Yeah, but this this was, you know, at first it was like planetary assault systems of the 90s. Then it was quickly, no, no, it is planetary assault systems, but this isn't the 90s anymore. This is this is now and it, and it doesn't mean the same thing as it did before and once I kind of got my head around that idea that it was easy to open the gate you know it's a blank sheet of paper with a typewriter what's the first word going to be you know and that there was, I really felt that actually what happened with the first single I remember my son I was in this studio and my son he came round and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just messing around with this this stuff here. And um, I said, tell you what, just sit down, just come up with a little, just just make a noise you like. He actually came up with the the sort of the riff in in uh, GT, which, and then he came up with that noise. So I just I said, yeah, that's great. Let's let's just let's just put that in there. So what did he actually do? It wandered over and yeah, well, yeah, because I taught him over the years how to use all the stuff. So he he doesn't want to do it, but he he knows how it all works. So he just came and he fiddled around with a few bits, and then he came up with this noise. And I said, "Yeah, that's the one." So I wrote that in you know with the rhythm I want, and that kind of just made the first track. And that I think maybe it was that connection from my son, sort of joining. That never happened before, and so I think that kind of uh, that drove me. Said, "Yeah, that's that's natural. That's 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 good. That feels good." Yeah. So when you started making music, you were what in your early twenties or something? The first thing I actually did was sort of nineteen eighty-five or something. And there was, I had a friend who was a, like a rapper, because the whole hip hop electro thing was. And I still say it now was a huge life changer for me. So uh, we kind of had a little bit of gear back then. No, his brother did. His brother had like a Dr. Rhythm and a little Porter Studio thing. So we we actually started doing stuff then where I was I was doing the music and he was he was rapping on it. You know, it wasn't going to go anywhere. But it was the first. It was the first kind of um, his brother worked at this discotheque in the town I lived. And it was one of those really early discos where, you know, they play Luther Vandross and then go, are you having a good time out there? Okay, coming up next, Alexandra O'Neill, <laughs> you know. So we did this track and then we got, his his brother played it down um, down this discotheque. And I think, actually, no, it was like a, it was like a kind of a house track. It was a bit like um, Jackie Body, you know, something like that, so, around that kind of thing. And I remember thinking, I was standing there and I was watching the people and, you know, it was uh, it was a totally different, you know, it was an old discotheque man with young people 
you know, there wasn't, there was, there was no kind of rave thing involved. <laughs> but I remember just standing there thinking, oh wow, you know, this, yeah, this is pretty good actually. It sounds, it sounds different when you when you hear something on a massive on a club system. And I remember then the guys, because you know you're talking between the records, and then his brothers just said, yeah, that's a track I made earlier at home. And I thought, hang on a sec. That's a bit of a lie, isn't it? Because actually, I did that with your brother. <laughs> uh, so I kind of really learned early on there was this kind of, um, yeah, you know, I came a bit wise kind of quickly to the, you know, how that might work. You know, I mean, that still goes on today, doesn't it? Like people doing tracks and then people saying they didn't. But, you know, it's like, oh, right, okay, okay, okay. So that was, that was like a quick learner, you know. That was actually the the first stuff, and then really what happened after that was was about 1987, 88 when um, I had a residency at a club called Troll in London, which was was a complete game changer for me. That was like coming home. It was like, you know, the whole idea of mixing records and there was no speaking between the records and people were doing what they want to do. There was all sorts of people. There was this whole cross section of people was absolutely mind-blowingly exactly what I was looking for. It's like I've been looking for that all my life. That was where I wanted to stay. And that that is where I stayed. That, what, what kind of music is it at Troll? It was very early, you know, there's a lot of um a lot of track stuff, a lot of stuff on tracks, a lot of really early acid. There was a bit of Italian creeping in there, a bit of Balearic. I guess I guess Chicago, Chicago and sort of Euro, some Euro stuff that was starting to appear. That was very much. There was even like a bit of Front Two Four Two creeping in, and there was it was quite a mix around that time, you know. Which was fine then, yeah, because there wasn't such a massive selection of records, but and it was so different. I mean, it was so different from anything that was before. That was the crazy thing. It was. It wasn't like a move on from the discotheque. This was a complete different way of looking at things, mm. you know. But for me, I, I put it together with hip-hop electro. I kind of joined them together. It was part of the same way of thinking where hip-hop electro, you know, in its original form was sort of about the beats, you know, the scratching, the rhythm, someone having a rap on it. It was kind of the same machine. So it was, it was raw... You know, there was this link. I mean, even now, you know, tracks like um, Techno City by Cybertron that was on one of the early hip-hop electro albums, you know, sort of one Atkins, this, and Clear as well, is sort of this link for me, is this link between that, that was hip-hop electro, but it's also very much part of the original techno. So I see that as being a valid link to the way I was thinking as well. So, yeah. That made sense in that really early days, but it's also completely made sense to where I went from that link between hip-hop electro and early house and techno. It goes without saying that since you're first DJing and making records, a lot of things have changed in the industry and obviously in your personal life, you go from being like a freewheeling kid to then kind of growing up, having kids of your own, shit to worry about. Was it ever a challenge to sort of maintain creativity or ma- maintain, you know, the life of an artist as, you know, I guess as the landscape kind of changes around you, as your life changes? 
I think focus is is a lot to do with it, and I think sacrifices happen. I don't think you can have everything. As that started to happen, I there was never a, a choice of stopping doing it. There was never a, a choice that 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 is what I should that 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 was something I did, and now it's got to stop because these things have come into play. For me, life is always like that. Life, my life's always been crazy around everything honestly it, it really has and so I was used to that there was never any safety net in my life so anything happening around me that was chaotic or different or new things coming that that was just completely normal <laughs> it was just absolutely there was nothing weird about it it wasn't like you know oh, this has happened to make things unsecure insecure or anything like that that's just how it was all it's always been like that for me so there wasn't it wasn't so hard because there's no way that I ever wanted to stop and it, I just never looked at things in that way it was a a mission to do this and it and it, it and it's still I think I think it's you know it's I look at comedians and and authors and painters and I I look at it exa exactly the same way and I, I don't see why not. You know, that's. What do you mean by that? Was the comparison to comedians to, and painters? And... It, it's who you are. You know, it's. I take a lot of inspiration from. You know, uh, writers, people like Roald Dahl, who because uh, he had like his little writing den. You know, I think I've examined the way you can live your life around what. You, doing this stuff you know I've, I've looked at the older people authors writers painters and seen how it might have been for them and I've sort of like, okay well if they can do it then I can I can do it as well it might not be plain sailing but if it's if it's calling to do it then you, you have to do that you can't you can't live a lie so and I think that's I think that's important in all of us, you know. I think to try not to live a lie is 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 a really important thing, even if what you are maybe isn't what you hoped you'd be, or maybe some of your values aren't what you thought they were, you know. So I think you just got to you got to accept that and live with that, and celebrate that to a degree, because if you keep true to to who you are. You know, you, you show that. I think if you're living a lie, then I don't think you, you give off much positive vibes at all. So that's that's an important thing, you know. That's an important thing to me. Yeah, that kind of reminded me of um, your proverb at the beginning. Um, what was that? <laughs> it's not what you're meant to do, it's where you find yourself, something like that. Okay. It's like... <laughs> I think that's what anyway. But the idea that, like, it's, you know, you're not pursuing a goal in doing this. You're just being, you know, the person you have no choice but to be, you know? Yeah, there's never been a choice. This is it. It's not a career choice. No.
Flat talk is a 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 flat tal